introduce you to myself. You don't know who I am. I am Brandon. I'm the youth director here at Bethany. I've uh, it's been a little bit of time and since I've been up here, and you'll kind of hear that in the sermon a little bit, why it's been a little bit of time. But let me just start this time uh, as we get ready to bring the word to you in prayer. Father, we just we pray that we see your word and it speaks to us this morning. We, uh, we dive into the book of Acts, and as we look at it, we just pray that you show us what you want us to hear. You allow our hearts to loosen that pride and welcome in your spirit as it does some course correction. We pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, I start with a question. How do you respond in a life-changing moment? About a year and a half ago, July of 2021, I played this game called Kajabi Can Can. And in this game, you're holding two ropes while you're tugging on other people, and then there's a trash can in the middle. You're trying to pull people into this trash can on top of it. And so as you're doing it, you know, you're tugging, you're pulling, and I got to this point where it was me and another adult, and the other adult was 6'4 and, quite, and had a little bit more weight on me, and so my work was cut out for me. Well, at one point, I go up and I twist around, and that's where my orthopedic believes I tore my labrum. That is a part in your shoulder that allows it to move nicely without hurting. It took about a year to figure out what was wrong, and when we found out what was wrong, I went into surgery on my labrum. Now, shortly after going into surgery on my labrum, I went to camp about a week afterwards. I went with the high schoolers. And I was in this sling, this, if you've seen them before, the huge emergency room sling. They couldn't pull my arm away from my body, none of that stuff. It had to stick right here. Six weeks, that sling and I were best friends. Uh, I do not want to tell you how much sweat was in that sling by the end of it. But uh, that's, that kind of that vulnerability I had, we had to have one of the students, Matthew, we went to junior high camp. He's a lot taller and bigger, and he played like fullback. He would like block everybody in front of me so nobody would hit me. Uh, there was one moment where, you know, anytime my arm got bumped, it would hurt. And at one point, one of the students accidentally grabbed my arm about a week after the surgery and pulled it out. Yeah, that was, that was nicer than the noise I made. <laughs> it was just, it was not fun. Uh, right after the high school summer camp, I actually got COVID along with quite a few of the students. And so I was stuck in my room in a sling. You can't sleep well when you're in one of these slings. And I could not do like absolutely anything for five days. I was just stuck there in my own head and like kind of watching the TV. And it was not the greatest things. And anywhere I went, if it was cold, thankfully it was summer, if it was cold, I couldn't even put on my own jacket. Like it was that like hard for me to do. Eventually, I'd be just like, you know, I'm a man. I'm just not even going to worry about the cold. So I went with no jacket for like two months. Just kind of embraced it. The turning point came when I finally got to meet my physical therapist. And he said, I can get your shoulder right if you're willing to put in the work. And at that moment, I go, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put in the work. And then you had countless hours of exercises and icing exercises and icing, and so much other stuff. Uh, thankfully now, the, the shoulder, I'm good. It's been about a year and a half. I just got cleared to do sports about, I think about three weeks ago now. But this injury had taught me a bunch of stuff. First, it taught me to let go of my pride, allowed people to help me with 
getting on a jacket, driving me around. Uh, I couldn't even buckle my own seatbelt, helping people help me buckle a seatbelt. It, it taught me against popular opinion that I'm actually mortal. I can get hurt. <laughs> and it taught me how to respond in a situation. Have you ever been to a point in your life when you had to provide a response? Maybe it was some sort of financial difficulty. Maybe you had a health problem yourself. Maybe your boss called you and said, hey, you're not a part of our future plans. Maybe if you're in school, you had to respond to a college situation or you had to respond to not getting onto a team. Fill in the blank with so many other things that you probably had to respond in your life with. I told you one, well, Friday, I did something that was kind of reckless, and uh, I went skating. I like to skate. And so I was going 8 to 10 miles per hour, and you know those little, like, tree trunks that push up the curb? Well, I found one of those. And I tumbled and fell directly on my bad shoulder and, uh, and then rolled onto my good shoulder and went, oh, here we go again. And, you know, the response could have been at that point, get angry, upset, I just got cleared, man, I'm going to start this all over again, I'm going to have to get surgery, that was awful. And instead, what came to mind was not the anger, but the time to go back to God with it. For those of you who uh, have gone through hard times, we get a quote, it ain't about how hard you get hit, it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Maybe you remember that quote by Rocky Balboa. Now, there's some truth in this quote about life. You can get hit hard by so many things, and then you're asked to respond. As a Christian, as somebody who is called to respond to a life-changing event, a life-changing way, we are now called to completely leave the old self behind and go to the new self. We are now called to wholeheartedly change and follow the Lord's will in our life. And we're going to do that by, uh, we're going to see what a character of a Christian can be when we take a look here at Stephen. We get Acts 6, verse 8. We're going to go through uh, just uh, 8 through 15, but uh, I'm just going to start here with verse 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So I just want to give us a little bit of reasoning why he's full of grace and power. And if you go back to verse 5, I didn't put it up, but verse 5 from last week, it talks about Stephen being a man full of faith. That is faith from the Spirit. See, Stephen has totally given control of his life over to God. He does it because he understands God's rule in history and his sovereignty over everything. And he is in a complete agreement and understanding of what that is. In Romans 14, 7 through 8, we see what Paul writes about God's sovereignty and how we're supposed to react in our faith. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. See, Stephen, again, he has given his total control and his total life over to Christ. Not to give any spoiler alerts away, but if you know the story of Stephen, you know he's actually going to give his life to the cause of spreading the message that Jesus is the Messiah. He's not the only early church leader that we're going to see who's going to give his life to the Lord. Actually, or sorry, give his life for the Lord. He's going to, there's going to be many of them. 
Peter we know is crucified. Paul is probably beheaded, more than likely. We see that James will possibly be thrown off of a synagogue. synagogue. In Acts chapter 2, we see James, when the disciples put to death. So we're going to ask this question. We're going to ask a lot today. What does this mean for us? Well, it's quite clear. We as Christians are called to a life of faith that's full of it. And it's going to control every portion of our life. How we spend our time, how we use our finances, how we react with other people, how we react in school and at work and with family members. At 17, I was invited to this leadership camp in high school. It's called uh, RILA, Rotary Youth Leadership Award. And in this camp, we got to do one of the things that I am very not good at, which is rope courses. The very first course we had to do was climbing straight up a rope. I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but, you know, the Ninja Warrior stuff is not quite my stuff. And to my surprise, I got three feet off the ground. Uh, I did have an excuse. It was raining, so it was a little bit slick. It was hard to do. The second thing we got to do was they had uh, a rope tied between two trees, and it was about five feet in the air, and you had to get over this rope. And you couldn't go around it, you couldn't go under it. You had to go directly over it. And so you had to get your whole team across. Uh, so when it came to the point to get me across, they picked me up five feet in the air. I don't like being picked up. And they proceeded to throw me over <laughs> the line another five feet. And then we got to the last one, the lapse course challenge. And on this course challenge, you had to climb about 30 feet up, and you got onto this, this platform. And I am not a fan of heights. Just ask any person I've worked with here when we worked on ladders. I get about six feet up, and my knees start shaking like crazy. And so I'm climbing up this ladder. I get onto the platform. It's raining. I'm cold. My knees are shaking. And I'm starting to step out and walk onto the edge of this platform. As I get close to the edge of this platform, I see a bell. The bell's about five feet out. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can quite reach this bell. And with all my might, I jump. And surprisingly, I reached the bell. It was so great. It was a great moment. And what I had done, uh, some of you have probably done before, it's called the leap of faith. We, have some, we had some students do it this summer. They climbed up a telephone pole about 30 feet in the air and did the leap of faith uh, with our middle schoolers. And what it helps teach us is similar to our Christian life, is when you jump, you have to trust that you're going to be caught. As a Christian, the more and more time you invest to learning who Christ is through, through having a relationship with him, through the word, through prayer, through experience with other people, the more and more you're going to learn to trust him. Again, this is just like the leap of faith. It can be scary when we get to that edge, when we have to jump and we have to trust in God. But the more and more you trust in him, the easier it's going to be to take this leap of faith. Stephen being full of faith, now we get to verse 8 a little bit more, he had grace with others. Because of his trust, because of his understanding that God is sovereign over absolutely everything, he had no fear or hatred to control him. He allowed himself to have grace with anybody. He had so much grace that the people who kill him later, he's going to pray for God to forgive them. We ask this question, what does this mean for us? 
it comes back to, does your character project out grace to others? Does it project out grace when somebody cuts you off on the freeway? Or when somebody does something you just don't like? Or they get the job promotion you feel that you have rightfully earned? Maybe you didn't get on the sports team that you wanted to get on, but your friend did. Do you show grace to others in all circumstances of your life? Uh, grace can be hard. Can we agree with that? So I had a group of eight uh, middle school boys, and I was 19. I was told to watch them, and this group was a handful. Uh, every time I had figured like kind of one of their problems out, we moved on to the next one, the next one, the next one. It just kept going. And by Wednesday, I was so exhausted. And then one of them said something I thought a sixth grader should not know or say. And my first idea was just send him home. And I, I remember talking to uh, Mr. G, Ron Galvin. He goes by Bronco up at camp. And he was the guy above me, and, and we were talking about it. And he said, don't send him home yet. We want to give him one more chance. We want to show him grace. And what he told me was, is he probably doesn't get this grace and love at home, so we get the opportunity to show it to him here. And so what ended up happening was is I worked with him, and uh, we made a plan. If he was good for about two to three hours, I'd give him a handful of sunflower seeds. It worked really, really well for him. And we would talk with him, and it was just great as the week continued, he just became a, a pretty much a model citizen. What I learned from that is I need, to, I need to give grace. Because if I didn't give him grace, he would have missed out on hearing the gospel message another three or four times. He would have missed out on meeting Christians who show God's love and grace, which he probably wasn't getting at home. You know, grace can be really hard to give. Parents, think back to that first time you told your kids, don't touch it because they're going to break it. And within 30 minutes, they touched it and they broke it. Older siblings, if you have younger siblings, think back to that time where you told your younger sibling not to break something and they break it or delete all the information off of it. The truth is, we've all received a grace we don't deserve. See, we deserve this punishment from God. We deserve... God's wrath because of the sin we have in our life. It separates us from him. But see, he gave us grace through Jesus, through the Messiah, that now we have the opportunity to have a true hope, a true joy, a true love, and true peace in our life. Stephen, being full of faith, was also given power. His power was not his own. It was obviously from the Holy Spirit and allowed him to do some miracles. And so some of the people, some of the miracles we think we did were ministry-related. He had, uh, he would work with the poor and the widows and the orphans, so he would be giving them food, he would be giving them clothing, and he was probably, as he was talking with them, he was filling out their ailments and what they needed, so he would heal them. See, again, Stephen is not doing this in a power of his own, but he's given grace by the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we forget how strong God truly is, and uh, I saw it, uh, I'm in a men's group, and we were going through the book of Revelation, we actually just finished it, and 
you sometimes forget just how powerful Christ is. And you really see that in Revelation, the power he's given by God to do anything and everything on earth. And so I went to an author to kind of help us understand a little bit more about this. I went to C.S. Lewis with the book of Narnia. And he has Aslan, and he, he's this great line symbol in there who is supposed to be this symbolic thing of Christ to the Narnians. And we get this young lady named Jill in the silver chair who she's going to meet Aslan, and she's a little afraid, and this is what she's going to ask. She's going to say, do you eat girls, she asked. And Aslan's going to respond, I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. See, C.S. Lewis is just telling us through how he writes this story about how powerful Jesus is. He controls everything on this earth. He puts emperors in the place, puts kings in the place, puts presidents in the place, puts all people into place. He's sovereign over all. He's so much power, he's able to heal others. He does, and Stephen is doing this as he is serving other people. So a question for you just to think about for a moment is what powers and miracles have happened in your life? What has God shown you there? It's quite clear that Stephen was definitely a man of service. He served the church. What's interesting is he didn't just serve in one area. It seems that he served in a lot of different places. And something that hit me, somebody who's trying to uh, become a pastor and get into church leadership is he didn't say it was just enough to serve as a, a deacon, somebody who was in church leadership, but he served in other areas too. See, Stephen didn't say, I'm tired, I can't do it, I'm not going to serve. No, he went and did more. Why did Stephen do that? Well, he did that because to him it's a joy and a pleasure to serve the Lord with everything he has. So what does this mean for us? I think it's, it's pretty clear. We're to serve with a joy and a self-sacrificing service to the Lord and giving of our time to others who need it. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, some of you know or don't know him, he's a a theologian, and he was in Germany at the time uh, around when the Nazis were around and was actually uh, killed during that time. But he has some great works, and, and one of his books I read uh, about a year ago for class called Life Together. Great book. I would recommend it. He says this about service. Nobody is too good for the lowest service. Those who worry about the loss of time entailed by such small external acts of helpfulness are usually taking their own work too seriously. We must be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God, who will thwart our plans and frustrate our ways time and again, even daily, by sending people across our path with their demands and requests. We can then pass timely, preoccupied with our more important daily tasks, just as the, just as the priest, perhaps reading the Bible, passed by the man who had fallen among the robbers. See, what Bonhoeffer is trying to help us understand as Christians, we need to be willing to serve and take this call from the Lord to serve other people. Whether it's an area we think we really like or we don't, we're called to serve. 
And I think the prayer should be something along these lines. Father, as long as I am alive, can you help me strive to serve you in any way that I can serve you? And the big thing is wait for his response and answer yes to that, to that response. Uh, serving can be difficult, especially uh, if it's your first time serving in youth ministry. This summer, I brought some high schoolers along as junior counselors to serve the middle schoolers and to be there as a junior counselor for them. And uh, I'll explain here in a moment, but one of their requirements was every morning they'd wake up a little bit earlier and the three high schoolers, they would meet with Helena and myself as we would lead them and we wanted them to go through a passage of scripture together. We went through 2 Timothy and then we were to just check in, see how they're doing and then we were to pray for them and pray for the students. Great way to start a morning of camp. So high schoolers, when they're at camp, they're a little bit more relaxed. But middle schoolers, a lot of them, it can be their first time at camp. And for boys, that first night, going to sleep is not on their checkoff list. They will try to stay up all night. And so it's about 12 o'clock, 11.30, we finally get the lights off. And they take about an hour to settle down after that. And then they wake up. Well, actually, what happens is, is the sun starts to come up about 5, 5.30, and one of them will wake up, and it becomes a domino effect, and they just start waking them all up. And within like five minutes, they're all up running and screaming and finding sticks and throwing rocks, and it's insane. And so that first night, you're probably getting you know, four, maybe five hours of sleep. And so Andrew and Matthew, they shared a, a bunk bed, and they, they had to be up by 6.30 and ready to go and meet me down for breakfast about 6.45. And I went over to them, and they were just barely in it. They were so tired their first night. And I walked over to them as I was getting ready to walk out the door, and I go, hey, guys, welcome to junior high ministry, and just walked out the door. But serving can be hard. Sometimes we, you know, we do these things, and we do it self-sacrificially, uh, and those high schoolers did such a great job. See, they only have a few weeks off during the summer after their sporting events and uh, dealing with their teams, their family trips, they probably have only a few weeks to themselves, and they sacrificially gave of their time a whole week to come and serve junior hires. And they did a really great job. Never had to worry about them going off on their own or, or doing something. They were there to serve the students. They did great. I definitely want to bring them back with me if they'd be able to. See, serving come in so many different ways. It's not limited to just serving in youth ministry or kids ministry or, or nursery or young adults. It can include being on the worship team, being in tech, the welcome center, just fixing a light bulb. Serving is in so many ways you can serve the kingdom of God. So we now have this more complete picture of Stephen, his character, how he responds to the calling on his life of being a Christian. It's full of faith. Because of that, he's full of grace and power. And he has a heart that is focused on serving the Lord. Because of that, he's going to speak boldly that Jesus is Lord. We see that as we keep moving on in verses 9 through 10. It says this. Then some of those who belong to the synagogue of the freedom and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Sicilia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. 
just to give a little bit of a, a context and understanding here, um, I, I just want to talk synagogues. We can kind of view it more like of how our church system is. There's multitudes of them within cities, and there'll be anywhere where at least 10 Jewish people can meet at. They're different than the temple. There is the one temple. And so these guys were in these synagogues, and they hear about Stephen. And, and Stephen is doing something that they don't like. See, Jesus has come onto the scene just a few years prior, within the last few years, and he is preaching. And these Jewish people, they're converting to Christianity. They're taking away the power that these leaders in these synagogues and the temple that they had. See, Stephen is going around and preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that the scriptures are talking about. And they don't like it. So they come up and they do something that's kind of normal for that time period. If you have a disagreement with somebody or you don't agree with them, you would go up and you would talk with them. And you would do it out in front of everybody. We've seen this before in Scripture. If you look back to the Gospels, Jesus has these same types of conversations with everyone. Much like when Jesus had these conversations and answered their questions, it left them speechless because of the spirit and the truth that was in it. And for Stephen, we even add in the testimony that Christ, that Jesus had rose again just a few years prior. In 1 Peter 3.15, we see we are called to have a defense that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the one in the scriptures. The verse says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You do it with gentleness and respect. So as Christians, we are called to be ready for questions, to share the hope, to share about who Jesus is, to share that he is the Messiah. That is one of many reasons why we are called to go into Scripture and actually dig into it and learn to understand it and what's going on in there. It's not mean we're going out and trying to prove everybody wrong and in our pride say that our way is right. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to be there with questions. And we're doing it with gentleness and respect. We're doing it with love and grace. How do each of you respond when people ask you about Jesus? How do you talk to people about who Jesus is? You know, there's, there's a lot of challenging things we come up against. There's a lot of times where we have to speak up and we have to, and we have to do things that maybe are a little bit nerve-wracking, can be kind of hard. One of the most challenging things in a young man's life is when he decides to ask a girl out. And so uh, in college, I, I was sitting next to a girl and we had been talking the whole semester. We, did, uh, we both did really well in the class, and we would exchange answers back and forth. And we both talked about ice skating and hockey, and there was a lot of connection there. And so I got to this point where I mustered up enough courage to go ahead and ask her out. And to my surprise, she said yes. Yeah, see, I'm still happy. Um, <laughs> and my excitement die was like cranked up to 11. I was so excited. I can run around the whole campus and give a high five to everybody, and I could still have enough energy to do it again. That was until I got a text message on my way home. Uh, she could not go out with me because she actually had a boyfriend. Yeah, thanks for the laugh. Um, 
All that to say, it can be really challenging to stick your neck out there to try to risk what you have in order to ask something about somebody, to get somebody to start a conversation. We have some students at the youth group here who do a really great job about risking you know, their popularity and all that stuff to go and talk to other people about who Jesus is. And they don't do anything special. They just ask questions. Who is Jesus in your life? What do you think happens when you die? It's not these hard things. They're just trying to get the conversation going and allowed it to build from there. We have one student who, when he plays video games, he has that mic set on, and he's asking kids from who knows where the same type of questions. See, it, it can be hard for a high schooler to stick their neck out there for, and stick their reputation on the line to ask other people about Jesus. But they're called to do it, and we're all called to do it, and we're called to do it boldly. We are called as Christians to have these conversations about Jesus with other people. Now we see the response after this. Verses 11 through 14. Then they, that being these guys from the synagogue, secretly investigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council, that him being Stephen. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered us. These guys are upset. You've got to realize what's going on in this, this context of this area. Jerusalem is a heavily Jewish community. And they feel they're losing power ever since Jesus came onto the scene. Losing power, they're losing their traditions, things that they have done for so long. Because people like Stephen, people like the church leaders are going out and preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that these scriptures speak about. So we get hostility. They have to keep speaking boldly. Now, if Stephen is found guilty, he, for speaking blasphemy, he will probably be stoned and killed. Actually, we know what happens there. That is what is going to happen. See, they're so mad that they're going to get people to lie about what he did. They're not happy with what is going on. Because it's uprooting their traditions and the way they view life. We have that here, don't we? I think all throughout history, Christians have to go against the traditions and the things that are going on in everybody's daily life to share about who Jesus is. So, so Stephen, he's just confirming what the laws are saying. I said this many times. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, he says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with the fathers, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declared the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And no longer shall each of them teach his neighbor, and each teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, 
for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Stephen's looking, saying, look, look at these verses, just like this in Jeremiah, that this is what Jesus says. He is fulfilling the law, the one who the requirement, he is the one who is to come and be the Messiah. And he is saying it boldly because he trusts in the faith and the sovereignty that God has. So we ask this question again, what does this mean for us? Again, it's very clear. We are called to boldly Speak about Jesus as the Messiah to other people. How boldly do you speak about Jesus being the Messiah with others? I was reading through a magazine called, uh, and also their online article, it's called Voice of Christian Martyrs. If you haven't read before, there's some great stories about the faith and people who are standing strong in areas that are persecuted. And one of them was about a preacher in Columbia's uh, Red Zone District, a very gang-populated district. And uh, what he was coming into is these gangs were upset that Christians, that, um, that these young men were becoming Christians. Because as they became Christians, they didn't want to kill each other anymore. Instead, they wanted to show love towards each other. And so they would place hitmen in front of the church. And in some days, they'd go to preach. The preacher would go. And they'd say, no, you're not preaching today. And so this guy had to find another way to do it. So what did he do? He began to grab a microphone and a speaker, and he'd go find a spot outdoors, and he began to preach outdoors. See, he knows it's dangerous to preach the gospel so openly, but again, he knows he's not alone, much like Stephen did. He knows that God is with him. And he talks about feeling the warmth from his brothers outside and the appreciation that they have. So he was, he was told to stop preaching, but he found a way to get the gospel message out to everyone. He was told to go speak to all nations, and that was, is what he was going to do. So we were called to boldly preach about Jesus being the Messiah. Now we see that Stephen, he's arrested, he's brought to them, and he's accused of creating blasphemy against God. And this is the reaction he has. Verse 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Stephen was accused of evil blasphemy against God, the law and the temple. Far from the evil, he radiates now a holiness in the glory of God. One pastor put it this way, God himself answered their false charges by putting his glory on Stephen's face. It seems that this trial that Stephen's going to come to, that he's in now, it's now going to entirely depend on what Stephen will say. Stephen being full of the Spirit, being the only one we see actually in the New Testament, to be mentioned like his face lighting up like an angel, it implies that he's now filled with the Holy Spirit and that his speech that he's going to give should be regarded as the authoritative witness of God inspired by the Spirit. The speech that he's going to give will be his defense. And if you want to hear more about it, you're actually going to have to come next week for the sermon. <laughs> to conclude today, we, we take a look at Stephen's character, who this guy is, how he responded to this life-changing event of giving his life over to Christ. 
He's a man who reacted full of faith, a man who put his trust in God's sovereignty, a person who is full of grace for other people, and he has power from the Lord to do his work. He's going to serve the Lord, and he's going to boldly proclaim his name. We as Christians are called to do the same thing. We are called to be full of faith and understanding of what God's sovereignty is in our life, that he is in control of everything. He's going to walk by us through everything. We are to have grace with others. We are called to allow the power to work through our lives. We're called to serve. Many of you here at Bethany serve, and from this person who's working on the staff, Bethany, we thank you for those of you who have served here and continue to serve here. We are called to do this. Finally, we're called to speak about him boldly. Not timidly, but boldly. We are called to have a whole response to being called a Christian and a child of God. How well... Have you responded to this call in your life? With that, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for what you've done for us, the grace you have given us, the grace we don't deserve. We just we thank you so much for everything you do, and we pray that as the Holy Spirit works in us, that we don't just leave it here in this building, but your Spirit works in us throughout the week as we gain more faith in you and your sovereignty over us, that we have more grace with other people, and we see your power working through our lives. Help us to serve you joyously and speak your name boldly. So we get ready to take communion. I pray that we just we do this in remembrance, all of you and what you did on that cross, the grace you have given us. And we pray for this communion, and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.